Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You're listening to episode 181. 181. 181 of the Matinee Cast, the movie loving podcast at the movie loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Pardon our noise. We're outside once again. Uh, it's uh, it's summertime here in Toronto, and I like to get the show outside. I like to break bread with my friends and discuss some films and get a little bit of oxygen and ambiance into the into the show. And um, and I could not be more excited uh, for today's guest because I haven't seen him in eight months. And right? There, there's there's times where that is the case for a lot of my guests. There's guests I don't see for a year or more sometimes. But this is a guest I used to see every darn day, whether he wanted me to or not. There were some days where I know he did not want to see me. Your replacements, there are lots of days where I know they do not want to see me. There's other days where they want to see me more than I want to see them. Um, and it's funny because in his absence, I've been reading his work more because I can't, I can't go and talk to him about such things. I have to... So you've been, you've been finding all my spelling errors and all my... I, I just, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's, and it's like, I'm like, you know, there had to be a better way for me to read your work more than to just, you know, come out of my daily routine. Uh, but we are, we are very, very happy to have him here and have breakfast with uh, the brains behind the Mind Reels Uh-oh. podcast and website you can find it, uh, based out of Toronto, themindreels.ca. Oh. 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 Tim Rideout is here. How are you, Tim Rideout? Dude, I am so good, Ryan McNeil. You're sporting a very Magnum-like shirt there, I must say. Um, I got a, actually, it's not Magnum. This is a replica of Elvis Presley's shirt from Blue Hawaii. Now you're just making shit up. Nope, true story, man. Look uh, at that. I, I, I will. I will absolutely look at that. That read you pretty petty online, didn't it? No, as a matter of fact, I got this in Hawaii. Ooh. Um, <laughs> so, on, we are going to be talking about Dunkirk. We are going to put the record over to play the other side. First, we need to learn more about Tim. This is my enemy. Tim is a five-time guest. You're gonna get you a smoking jacket. I do need to. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Alec Baldwin and, uh, and everybody. Else. That's right. On episode 46, his first appearance, where we talked about the raid, he learned the first film he'd ever seen in a theater was Jaws. The last film he watched at the time was Bully. The worst film he's ever seen is Pearls of Gwendolyn in the <laughs> Land of the Yip Yak. So bad. His unseen classic are essentially the works of Woody Allen, he's since seen several, and the film he wished he made was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Next on episode 97, we talked about Captain Phillips. We learned the film that he digs that nobody else likes is The Black Hole. What they remaking that? What's that? Weren't they remaking The Black Hole? No, they talked about it. Like, right, right after Tron Legacy came out, they kind of pitched it because there was some, you know, some yeah. Black Hole stuff in and then Tron, they just and then just kind of because of Tron didn't do as well as they wanted. The film he likes, the film everybody else likes that he doesn't is The Dark Knight Rises and Man of Steel. The film that made him cry is Up. The movie of his life would be played by either Simon Pegg or Brandon Powers. And the film he was watching next is We Are What We Are. Oh, yeah. Then, on episode 137, where we did the Mad Max series, the film that made his love film turn a corner was Citizen Kane. His date movie, 
His first date movie, I should say, was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. His sick day movie is, this, is to do a Star Wars marathon, which grows and grows. I know. That means year. I have to have more sick days. Yes, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the film to leave him speechless was Attack the Devil. His epitaph, the second star to the right, and straight on till morning. Mm. Finally, last year on episode 156, when we talked about Midnight Special, the film he really did but did not ever want to see again was Gone with the Wind. The film that genuinely freaked him out was The Descent. The film that always makes him laugh, he had a few. Shaun of the Dead, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, and The Big Lebowski. His favorite movie soundtrack was Lost Boys, and the film he loves but nobody else has heard of, and I've seen it now, is Gun Crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? So time for round five. Timothy. Oh, God. You go to the movie theater. Uh-huh. All things being equal, because yeah. we both just came out of an IMAX show, but yeah. all things being equal, where do you like to sit? Yeah. I like the left side just off center. So you're about halfway back. See the left side halfway back. So like you're not you're not in the middle. You're you're on a wing. I like to not not quite out to the wing, but like between the center and the wing. Like okay, so like okay. North, north northeast. Okay. Why 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 corner? Why why are you why are you why are you slightly askew? I, I think it's so I don't mind. I don't like people. Let's be honest. I hate people. <laughs> I hate people. And I don't mind. That's why you're a writer. Yeah. <laughs> so so I don't like I don't like being surrounded by tons and tons of people, especially people who don't respect cinema and theater etiquette. So they have to like, this seems like a good idea to go to the bathroom now, and then they get up and they block the screen. And like, okay. Whereas off to the side, you don't get that as often because. If I glare at them enough, they'll go the other way. Right. Okay. Okay. And like, but I mean, also like, you kind of got you've got an out as well. Like, yes. you know, you're not pinned yes. in middle middle. I know a lot of people who do like middle middle, but I'm always like, I if I right? if I need to go, yeah. it's just because I mean, a lot of times I will sit all the way through the credits. Right. Because I was taught that a film isn't over until the credits are done. But there are times where I'm like, I've had the experience. I don't need to sit through all the credits. I can. Learn. And I'll listen to the soundtrack on the way home. And further back, just so that it fills your vision? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, so that you yeah. can get... So you can see the whole thing. Yeah. See, it's funny, because the last time I had a five-timer on, he was actually saying that if you're sitting too far back and you're looking down on the film, like, he wants it to fill his... Yeah. To, to completely fill his field of vision. You don't, you don't want well, that? Well, I mean, I you don't want, go like, a little all bit the way of... back, like... For IMAX. IMAX is a great example, because I'm sure we both shot in the same theater. Yeah. Um, I sat... I sit in ILG... Seat thirty-four. Okay. <laughs> so I, which is weird, because I actually sat further back than you. Okay. Um, so that so that it did fill my field of vision. It, it's it's funny. Like I'm I'm finding that everybody tends to enjoy being back a bit, mm-hmm. which you know, like it's 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 weird because if you get back a little too far, then it's almost like you're watching a TV. Doesn't it? <laughs> It can be. My experience with that film definitely was not. It's because you have a small TV. I've got a 42 inch. <laughs> and I sit really close. Well, welcome to the Bat Daycast where we talk about your consumer electronics. Um, if you could go on a date with any movie character, uh, who is it? That's a tough one, man. I, I spent a lot of time this thinking is, about that. You go further and further rounds, the questions get harder. And, and let's be honest, I got this email with these questions at about 11.30 at night. So I was already... I was already two bottles in, nice. and, uh, and I was ready to dress. So I'm like, okay, who would I really like? And I can go with two of my standbys. Okay. 
And then there's my actual, I think this girl would be fun. Let's go, no, no, I want girl would be fun. Let's go with that. Forget about the standbys for now. But my standbys have been there since, That's, like, no, I was no, a kid. No, who, 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 no, 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 All right, Becca from Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect. Like Anna Kendrick? Yeah. Really? Yeah, okay. I adore it. Okay. Well, first of all, it's funny because I can't stand the Pitch Perfect movies. <laughs> like, at all. At all. At all. The, 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 the sad thing is they're on cable a lot. So a lot of times I come home and Lindsay's watching them. Yeah. I'm like, again? For real? It's all right. Um, but I do adore Anna Kendrick. I, Anna Kendrick. I, like, is, I listen yeah. to her audiobook and she's, like, yeah. really clever. Yeah. She's um, clever. She's funny. Yeah. She's, she's adorably but, cute. But... And, and she doesn't really play the same person all the time. So why Becca? Because I seem to remember Becca being kind of surly to start those movies. At the start, yeah. But by the second one, she's she's a little more relaxed. Okay. Um, and it's just a way to get to know Anna Kendrick. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> and be able to like talk music and listen to music. She's yes. got her little mixes. Right? And that. Yeah. Is, is that part of it too? Like you want to you want to be like a creative person because you are with a creative I do. person. I am with a very creative person. So yeah. like it's that kind of thing yeah. as well. It's not like I want to date this hot character. Yeah. I want to date somebody who. I mean, it helps that she's incredibly attractive. Well, yeah, I know, but it, but it's also like oh, I want yeah, somebody yeah, who spends their time. She knows her music, right? She can mix and, and sing. Yeah. Okay. Which is kind of probably why I'm with the girl I'm with. There we go. Sing. All right. All I, I, I like. I, let's get into it. I like that a lot. Uh, what is the dirtiest film you've ever I'm seen? I'm not answering that question. Yes, you are. Yep, because you're, you're, you're I used here. to work in a video oh, store, <laughs> and there were a lot of those. Yes, there are. Yeah. There's a bunch. And I wasn't given a rating either. So no. Yeah. See, the funny thing is, like, when you say it that way, there's a whole, there, were a, there was a long time. There was a, there was a period in the 90s where that's what it was. The, the erotic thriller was yeah. the thing. It was the thing. You know, like, stuff like, the stuff that would, like, sliver. Basic Instinct. Yeah. yeah. And then, but then there was, like, a whole bunch of other, like, B-movies that would follow that same format and get one, yeah. like, C-lister. You know, like C list yeah. talent, and, and then really go there. Poison Ivy with Drew Barrymore. Yes, there there were there were several of them. There's yeah. like three. Second one had like Alyssa Milano. What do you think? So wait a second. So okay, because I feel like we've gone down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> like you guys wouldn't throw them on at the video store. Oh no. 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 You you quickly would get fired. Yeah. Right. No, like not even if it was like closing time. No. Right. But you know there'd probably be like code at the video store. Of, hey, have you seen this one? Oh right. yeah. yeah, yeah, but that was usually related to more of the, the adult titles because you started to know some of the customers who came in and be like, "Oh yeah, Bob's taking uh, you know that one with the two donuts." And, uh, okay. So we'll we'll just say we'll we'll answer that question with, in your time as a clerk, you've seen some things. I have seen some things. All right, all right, all right. It's a really good non-answer. <laughs> <laughs> the last time I asked it, somebody actually went with a film that like had the most dust. And it, I was like, all right, okay, all right, well, well played. That's fine. Well yeah. played, sir. Well played. What is your favorite black and white film? Oh, Metropolis. Oh, you know what? Like, I've seen it once, like not nearly recently enough. Um, why Metropolis? Um, I remember as a kid, you know, my first my first introduction into sci-fi was it was Trek. Wars, Logan's Run, Planet of the Apes. Pretty much in that order. So, what's the third one? Wars. Uh, no, uh, Star Trek, Star Wars. Star Trek, Star Wars. Oh my god, what was it? <laughs> it was Four Plus. Something else. Yeah, it was something else. 
Okay. I completely forgot my childhood. Thanks for that. Mechanic. Sorry. Yeah. And I forgot Galactic in there. But anyway, but it was all modernish. Oh, Logan's Run. There we go. Okay. So it was all kind of modernish stuff. So we used to go to a pizzeria, Mother's Pizza. Right. Which is actually making a comeback. Are they really? Places in Ontario. Wow. Look it up. Um, and they used to show old movies, like little clips from yeah, old movies. Yeah. And there was the clip from Metropolis of the robot standing up. And my brain's like, that looks a lot like C-3PO. And I never got to see it until late 90s, and I bought it on Blu-ray, like the remastered Blu-ray, restored edition. And this is a three-hour film yeah. that I can throw on, and it's over like that. Yeah. I mean, I just get completely swept up every time, especially facts, story. I mean, I'm there. Yeah. Um, it's it's funny because that one, like the only two shots in that movie that really jump out at me in my limited experience with it are the opening shot where it's like zooming in on the skyscraper and you've got the searchlights going. Very and the shot of the automaton turning into the woman. Mm-hmm. Like those are the two that jump out. Yeah. So I'm not nearly first enough in it. I know lots of Fritz Lang and I've watched lots of Fritz Lang and that's like one of his essentials. Oh yeah. Um, but it's the, the crazy thing though is it's also at the point of, of history of where it is it's, it's, it's kind of rusted. Like it's kind of rudimentary in a lot of its, it's ways. Yeah and the story is like overly sentimental and dated for sure. So but I mean of all the black and white movies you've seen why that one? Sci-fi. I mean I just I love when you look at it, and it's the special effects at the time, yeah. those are astounding. Yeah. I mean, okay. I, I, I kind of like to put myself in the mindset of like, the audience of the time watching this movie. Right. Blown away like the first time I saw Blade I'd be like, Wow. Yeah, yeah, okay. We we went through that. Um, my brother brought that up when we went to see Wings. We saw it at Lightbox. He's like, that was probably like Transformers for, na- for people in 1929. Right? You know? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Wings, by the way, great movie. Love it. Oh, it's, it's incredible. It's when we got to see it on a big screen. Oh. So, like, just to see it play properly, it was amazing. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, last but not least, what is a film you would like that nobody would actually expect you to enjoy? See, well, I could have gone with Pitch Perfect on that one because well, there, obviously yeah. I was pitching to the crowd. <laughs> um, Mamma Mia. Oh, really? I do. And, okay. and I actually recently reviewed it because it was on one of the lists I was working on. And here's why. Okay. Um, my, mother, my mother's parents, in their house, I always remember being in their kitchen and they had this tiny little ghetto blaster, or boom box as they like to call them now, I guess. And uh, Abba cassettes everywhere. They would play ABBA over and over, and I, and I this is so even even a movie based on a very successful musical, which I have also enjoyed. Um, <laughs> it just it resonates on a nostalgic level for me, so it's it's a familial connection, yeah, yeah. because it makes me think of my grandparents, and I love ABBA music, and I own my love of ABBA. <laughs> I mean, okay, so it's funny because as I've grown up, I've grown to enjoy ABBA more and more. I really didn't as a kid. I think I, I, I had friends who like played them way too much, and I didn't get it. And it's very disco, um, so I, I, I was like bristling against that. The young rocker that I was. Sure, but the um, harmonies, man, the harmonies. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, and I got like I got to a certain point where I was like, ABBA music is great as long as ABBA's not singing. Like, no, seriously, no, I, that sounds like a dig, but I really mean it. I'm like. They are master composers. They are like they, they could craft a pop song 
that was extraordinary. He played it just on guitars and pianos and got a little bit of the 70s out of it. It was fan-bloody-tastic, but the way that they were produced at the time, like, eh, I grow, I've grown up, I've grown to appreciate it a little bit more. And you kind of tapped on two of the things that I remember thinking when I saw Mamma Mia. Now, I enjoy the film. I think it's a good movie. However, I've always said, if you don't like musicals, this is not for you. No. Oh, actually. If you don't like ABBA, this is not for you. But if you like either one of those two, this will be, this will be good. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I guess I don't expect to get into a whole lot of ABBA conversation. I don't. So, I people, so people would be like, do you like Mamma Mia? And I'm like, yes. You know. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 the Star Wars nerd, likes, likes Mamma right? Mia? Yeah. Okay. All right. I, I, I like I stand by it. I, I foresee a double feature of Pitch Perfect and Mamma Mia in your immediate future. I could happen. But yeah. I have to watch West Side Story first because that's the next musical I have to watch. I, I think that's actually a nice little... That's a good weekend to watch him right there, yeah. even though I don't like this yeah. one. Yeah. All right, well, um, I don't actually have a sixth round of questions, so yes. the next time you're on the show, they may be... I can ask you the questions. That, that, yeah. And that's what a lot of people say, actually. <laughs> <laughs> might be what happens. Uh, but come on back after this. Um, I'm going to say, we are going to get somewhat spoilery where it comes to Dunkirk, but it's not really a movie I feel like can be spoiled, not to mention the fact that it's based on historical events. So if you're skittish about that kind of thing, perhaps jump ahead to our um, other side. But after this, the new slang, Dunkirk, coming right up. Dunkirk was written and directed by Christopher Nolan. It stars Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, Kenneth Branagh, James Darcy, Harry Styles, Finn Whitehead, and Jack Loudon. It's about the World War II operation to evacuate 400,000 British soldiers from the French war front. Germany has pinned them in from all sides, and the soldiers have gathered on the beaches of Dunkirk, where they wait for rescue across the English Channel. The film looks at the story from three sides. On the beach for one week, where soldiers fight to survive and keep morale up while they try not to be sitting ducks for enemy fire. On the water for one day, where ships filled with evacuees and casualties are continually coming under enemy fire and where a fleet of civilian ships make their way across the channel to do their part for the war effort and in the air for one hour where three RAF pilots fight mightily to give their soldiers and their ships half a chance for survival. When it comes to war films, my brain usually goes back to one of my all-time favorites, Saving Private Ryan. In that story, the question comes up about the mission or the man, which ultimately must succeed. Now we have Dunkirk, a film that is heavy on mission, but somewhat short on men. And while that goes a long way to document a mission, but short changes things when it comes to the men. So, pop quiz hotshot. Where Phil is concerned, what is more important, the mission or the man? I think it's what you want to get out of the film, though. Okay, explain. Well, in the terms of, of Dunkirk, and let's establish, I had a one-word review for that after I walked out of it, which was, wow. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's more about... 
yeah, he put some familiar faces in the film, but I think that's just a relatability. He just wanted to tell the story. This is what happened. This is what was done. So it was the mission. And that's all I wanted from the film. That's exactly what I got. Whereas other times, you want to have a very strong emotional core to the story. I.e. Saving Private Ryan, where the mission is the man. And that, you know, so you relate to everything that all the characters are going through because you empathize with, you know, Tom Hanks. How do you not empathize with everything that Hanks is going through? Vin Diesel, whatever. But, you know, everybody else is there. There's a reason why he's first killed. Yes. <laughs> but, I mean, so by casting it that way, yeah, there's a huge, huge story. Whereas Nolan's just telling almost just the facts. He's just, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. I was okay with it. And, and as long as you know going into it that it's just the mission, that there's probably not a lot of emotional content. Although, I won't lie, I got weak on a number of occasions. Yeah. You're gonna enjoy it. You love it. Yeah. It's like that. You summed that up pretty nicely because going back to my earlier example of, of Ryan, uh, there was the other film that year was the Thin Red Line that I struggled with um, when I first saw it because I was coming off of Ryan and I didn't realize that it wanted to tell a very different war tale, yeah. that it wanted to talk about our relationship between, you know, the, the soldiers and the battlefields and, you know, how we are fighting each other, yeah. that this planet's yeah. gonna keep on spinning no matter what. Um, and how, like, I had time, I had a hard time squaring myself up with that. Mm -hmm. Dunkirk is more of that. Dunkirk is, it could have very easily focused on one of the three stories. Yep. It could have focused on the pilots, could have focused yeah. on the boats, could have focused on the beach, and latched us that much more to the characters in oh, those totally. yeah. um, But it, it doesn't want to. Now that is intentional, and I can't say, you know, you screwed up because you didn't do this. I will perhaps come against the intent, but we'll get back to that. Okay. Um, obviously, you really love all this movie. Oh. <laughs> I mean, as soon, as soon as you get that first opening shot where the character's walking down the French street and the little pamphlets are falling, and it's like 70, what, over 70% of this film was shot in IMAX. Yeah. And that opening shot on an IMAX screen, I was just like, I'm going to love this movie. There was no way I wasn't going to love it unless no one really, Dark Knight Rises, screwed the pooch on it. <laughs> and I was sold. So I'm like, I am on for the ride, and yeah. This, I, I, I was very much the same. I, like, there was more than once where I, I'm, I'm usually, I can usually see the beats coming. Mm -hmm. like, I'm, I'm, it's kind of hard to really kind of make me jump. Yeah. So, but there was more than once. I think there was one time in the plane where, where some gun, he takes some gunfire. Like, oh, oh shit. Geez. Yeah. Know? Uh, and same thing. Like when, when the, when the fire starts coming in the streets of the French town. Oh. Same thing. I was, I was, I was shaken. Um, the, the whole film. I didn't really know what to expect. I, can't, I think I thought it was going to be overly sentimental, or I think I thought it was going to be like kind of a, a heart string, a heart tugging weeper of something like that, or, or something. And, sure. and, and so I was surprised. I was surprised at the course that they decided to take. Okay. It took me a minute or two to get my bearings, um, which you know we'll, we'll get into that. And for all of that, because it, I. I had an idea of what I was getting into, but it still defied what I actually got into. Yeah. I was I was really really impressed and taken aback. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like a very British film to me, in that it does, like you said, there's no there's not well, a lot no. of sentimentality because British to me is very reserved and very 
you know. See, but when I think of British, I think of things like the life and times of Colonel Flynn. Like, I actually think the, uh, the opposite. I think more of telling the lives of the soldiers, less about the mission. That, to me, strikes okay. as a British film. Oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. I meant in the, in the way it was told. It's very... Yeah, British. no, I'm talking about yeah. the talent. Okay. Like, to me, the difference between a British film and an American film is... Like, like um, Lawrence of Arabia is a very, very British it's film. It's a very British film. You know, because it's, all, it's more about Lawrence than it is about yeah. his campaign. Yeah. Um, whereas something like something like The Thin Red Line or something like Saving Private Ryan is a very American film. Mm-hmm. Platoon is a very American film, yeah. right? You know? <laughs> that, that, that to me was the difference. Okay. Um, so we've got this concentric orbit of plot lines that you know it, it, it was I did like that there were title cards that helped you along with that because I feel like without those title cards we would have got very lost and Literally, the beach is supposed to be set over the course of a week. Uh, the, the the boats a day, the planes an hour. Have you ever seen something like that in film? Like you've seen a lot more films. Inception. Inception, but it, but Inception is like it's dreams within dreams within dreams. Yeah, right? but but I mean they talk about the same kind of time. The way time stretches in Inception is kind of the way the time plays out in here. But I'm talking about like yeah. within within okay. reality. You've never seen this concentric. I really like how it was done. Did you ever find yourself getting lost? Nope. No, so, like I, I knew exactly where I was almost at all times because I'm like, oh, okay, hey, there's a plane going over it. Okay, so I know exactly where I am on the timeline. Right. I'm like, yep, perfect. Though I, it's it's weird. The the week at um, I lost the, the word fell out of my head. It's not a moor. What the mole? It is the, the mole. I was like, I was close. Um, <laughs> moor is a flat, mushy, muddy, withering heights. That's a moor. Okay. Um, the week at the mole, I don't know if that felt right for me. Like that, the the, the mole almost felt more like two days. It did. That was it where I lost. That was where I lost time. Um, it, it, that to me, I, th- I think perhaps because night never seemed to fall, or, or like not even like dusk. We well, talked about couple sequences, right? but not a lot. No, like we talked about tide coming in and tide going out, but that still felt much like the water where it was all a day. Mm-hmm. That. That's one of those things where I, okay. I was a little bit lost, um, but I, I like that that whole that was where we gave it the most time because that's like for starters that's where the most people are. Yeah, you know, so it was a way to give that story the most amount of time to breathe. Sure. Um, whereas, yeah, the, the 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 water being a day and certainly the planes being out because I don't think you could spend that much longer in the planes. Certainly not in the air. No, not in the air. But I mean, I, and let, let's establish at hour and what? Hour and 47 minutes. It's the second shortest film since the following. Yeah. And I easily could have sat through another hour. But I also know he told the story he wanted to tell in that time. So I'm, I'm not, I was, I was satisfied with it, but I easily could have sat there for longer. I'm like, if you want to find cut scenes and put those in for the director's cut, I'm there. Well, and that's the thing is, part of me wonders, like, I would really love to see his original script for this. Because part of me thinks that he found this in the process. Maybe. That, that he wrote, like, he wrote it from these three prongs of a trident, mm. but he had a lot more to tell in each one. Maybe. And he I thought, mean, did you hear that the script was only, like, 76 pages? Oh, so maybe not. Yeah. Oh, wow. No, I didn't hear that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it, it, it's, it's strange because the beach, see, the, the beach is kind of the most desolate. Like, mm-hmm. the beach is the most oppressive, yeah. the, the most bleak. They are literally, not literally, but they are, they're sitting ducks, yeah. you know, and as soon as you see them, 
lined up oh, with wow. nothing else that around That is so them. British. Yeah. It is so British, but I mean, you look at that and you're like, you guys are just standing around to die. And you all know it. You know? Like, yeah, 95% of you fall to the dirt anytime you see a plane. Can we talk about that for Dude, a second? Okay, please. That one shot where they're on the, on, the, on the pier. Yeah. And you hear the plane. Yeah. Like, way back in the background. Because IMAX use their sound for this. Yeah. You hear the plane, and like one looks up, maybe another, and then a couple heads all start to turn up, and then everybody turns up. I was floored, and I literally, that's when I started to cry, because I'm like, these guys are doomed. These guys are doomed. Yeah. 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 It just, it shook me to my core. I was just, wow. Yeah. There's there's nowhere to go. Like, that's, that's where, you know, my next point was actually going to be about scale and how that affects the experience. Oh my God. And, you know, Nolan has had a lot of conversations this week about how he never wants to make a film for Netflix. Like, now, first of all, Nolan's a bit of a curmudgeon when it comes to <laughs> cinema anyway. Yeah. Um, which is, it gets a little annoying at times. But when you see something like this in a proper format... He kind of knows what he's talking about. Well, it's, it's hard to argue that, right? Because if you watch this at home, I don't care how big your TV is and how great your setup is. It's not You're not, you know, that, that shot that you're talking about when you're on the mole, it backs up and it, it, you know, you follow the plane in for a little bit and you see how there's like nothing else around them. And how just... So like you said, how doomed they are. You don't get that at mm-hmm. home. You don't get that, oh my god, kind of thing. Or, yeah, when they're in these lines on the beach and you just see nothing but barren around them. You don't get that on a smaller, on a smaller scale. So even just the idea of there's, you know, there's two or three dozen soldiers that pick up their rifles and decide to fire back at the plane. It's like... You realize how in vain that is. Yeah, it's noble. Yeah. And, you know, to a certain degree, it's brave. But, dude, hit the dirt. Yeah. Same sort of thing of when, when the main soldier who we follow, when he hits the dirt and you watch oh, the bombs yeah. coming in a line towards him, and you're like, and you just, you know, it's creeping up on you. Every time something is closing in, it's weird because you get this strange feeling of both agoraphobia and claustrophobia at the same time. You're not were there, wrong. Any, were You're there not any other wrong. moments where you felt like the scale of this movie when we watched it? Scale comes into it a lot. I mean, and and let me just say, if you're not watching this in IMAX, you're not watching the movie shot. Right. Because, I mean, there were shots, like a lot of the aerial photography, wow, I mean, you get this wide, wide scope, and then right there in the middle is this tiny little plane doing its thing. I mean, even on a smaller screen in the theater, you're not going to be able to appreciate that. On a television Definitely. Definitely. I'm going to be able to appreciate that. What about on your phone? Can I watch it on my phone? Let's do that. <laughs> David, let's try something to say about that too, I'm sure. But, wow. Look at that. Perfect. Wow. Thank you. But, uh, all of those shots, I mean, he made such... The decision to use an IMAX camera and then shoot 70% of your film that way, you have to see it with IMAX. I mean, you have if to. If you can. Like, that, that's... Yeah. The thing that I kind of you know, feel bad about is we're nerding out about this here. But the truth of the matter is that true IMAX has kind of gone away very slowly. Like even within we live in a really big city and even here, I think there's I think there's two true IMAX screens. Yep. I think. Um you know we used to have one at our at our theme park and it closed. Um 
Well, not everybody has that option. That's true. Um, I wish people did because I feel like we're in the middle of superhero season and that is, you know, those are the kind of films that take over these big screens all the time, which as much as I enjoy them, they don't use scale in this manner. Guardians Volume 2 kind of uses IMAX really well, but, but not, not to the scale. Yeah, yeah. No, no. So this is what I wish people could go and see and feel that agoraphobia and that claustrophobia that comes with this kind of thing. So this is a movie that's very much dedicated. I can't remember. Isn't he a British? No, it's American, isn't he? But like kind of like you said, this is very much a British film. Um, maybe not in its sensibilities, but certainly in its story. Um, and one of the ways that this is a very, very British film, we never see the Germans. We never get a proper look at the Germans. There's one shot where we get them out of focus. Oh yeah. But um we see three planes, and and that's and, that, and that's all. We never see a U-boat. We never see an infantryman. Is that a gimmick, or does that lend itself to the, the the whole execution of the film? I don't think it's a gimmick. I think I think by keeping the focus. On the British soldiers, you're showing their plight, their perspective. Whereas if you bring in and show any you know, German soldiers, like other than silhouettes and out of focus, then you shift the story and have to deal with their side of it as well. Right. Whereas this way, it's just this is this is their story. They're not sharing it with anybody else. But the reason why I, I, I ask this is just on our last show. We were talking about a film, and I, I apologize to my guest, Ariel Fisher, because she told me the name of it, and I, I totally forgot what it was called. But it's all about a woman in Germany during World War II, and everything that she has to go through um, as, as a wife and a mother, and as a, just as a citizen, and, and how she deals with all of these um, things going on around her before, during, and after. Wow. And the idea that not everybody in Germany at the time was aligned with the cause you had to otherwise you would you would survive I, I you're right I, I get the idea of holding focus on on the people of Dunkirk you know of the story that you want to tell um, and there is too often in Hollywood a trend to make the villains faceless to turn them into James Bond enemy stooges you know or like Cobra on, on G.I. Joe, right? Stormtroopers, if you will. <laughs> I forgot my audience here. Um, but I, I, I wonder, I, I think he did it well, and I think as time goes on and I have a chance to really settle on that, that I will come down on, on that side and just go with it. Mm -hmm. But it's one of those things that I wonder, is, is, it, is it a disservice, is it a gimmick, is it a and he never shows it? I don't think it is. No? You think that if we had a had that, had even one enemy combatant, one sniper, one pilot, one sailor, that it would have turned this into a different movie? It would. 
Because you take, you're taking away from the British experience on that. Okay. But it's all about, you know, it's there in the tagline, you know, they wanted to get home and home came for them. Yeah. So it's about that story. Right. Whereas if you're talking about the Germans, well, they're taking over everything anyway. They consider that their home. So did, you not, did you notice as we were going along that, that you never see the Germans? I did, and I'd forgotten about it until you mentioned it. And I'm like, yeah, you really don't. You hear them a lot. The planes show up. But you never see a German face. Yeah. You never see the pilot. Like, you see the plane and you know there's a man in that plane. But you never see a pilot, you never see a sailor, and, and the only two infantrymen you see are are out of focus. Yep. Including, like, the opening. Like, we talked about that opening that's really cool. The sniper fire. Not even sniper fire, but it's like full on infantry fire. You don't know where it's coming from. But I mean, that adds to the terror of war right there. Yeah. Yeah, so, well, same thing. Um, okay, I was a little unclear on one point. There's a moment where the, the guys who are on the mole take refuge in a boat because they know that when the tide comes in, yeah. that the boat is going to lift. Was it Germans that were shooting at the boat? Okay, it was. Yeah. And same thing, you don't, you don't see the Germans shooting at the boat. That was a nice, nice, nice Another one where I just, I don't grip the armrest a lot during most movies. Right. But this one had me tense through a number. So it's funny because as I've been thinking about this movie, if somebody were to ask me to describe it and describe the feeling of watching it, if you make a fist as tight as you can and hold it like that for a hundred minutes, that's the feeling of watching this film. Even when it eases off for a second or two, it's always like, it's, it's always like that. Um, where are you at with Nolan? Because he's made some movies you don't like, he's made some movies you love, he has a fanboy following that's like, mm. no tomorrow. I like him. I think the only, the only time I've been disappointed with him was The Dark Knight Rises. I want to just, yeah. It felt like he was not forced into doing that one, but... I mean, there's so many plot holes in that that it's just... <laughs> it, it seems like a disservice to him because he usually makes his film so tightly wound that right. covers them all off and all and the you're, are there. And you're still hanging with him even though, like, kind of fanboys around him are sort of getting a little bit noisier and noisier? I'm okay with him. He hasn't done me wrong yet. You don't find any Joe Bright? Maybe. Okay. But I mean, if he says something I don't want to listen to, then I don't listen to him. Well, well, I was going to say that's the other thing is you don't find that he is becoming a bit of a stick in the mud with things like I don't want my films on Netflix and I think people should see it on film and I want to shoot it on film. Like eventually that gets really tired. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I get, I get that it's about the cinema experience. So maybe that's what he's arguing for. Maybe. I mean, there's something about the communal cinema experience that you don't get watching Netflix. No. I mean, a movie that you loved in the theater because you had such a great time with the audience, you could walk out thinking, this is the best movie ever, and then you want to share it, and you should watch it on Netflix, and it's nowhere near the same experience. Right. I think, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of his attitude because... Scorsese and Spielberg and, and a lot of other directors say the same things that he does, but there's something about Nolan's demeanor. You ever see Side by Side? Yep. You, you listen to him talking in that movie, and it's like, oh, dude, shut up. Yeah. Now, yeah. I think the, the, one of the key differences between him and somebody like Tarantino is that his films always execute. So I'm like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to permit your grumpiness, yeah. and I'm going to permit your fanboyishness. Yeah. Because you deliver the goods. Uh, yeah. And that's SP. Yeah. Um, 
you know, he's he's overhyped, but I can't really blame him for that. It's yeah. just kind of the nature of the internet these days. Yeah. And who speaks most loudly this on the internet? True. Um, you know, I see a sequence in this movie, like like the opening of this movie. You know, like this is the one thing I'll say is. This is a man who knows how to open a movie. The opening shot of all of his films are, are incredible. Incredible. I mean, they're always just so simple. But they're, they're iconic shots in every single time. Um, usually the last shot, too. Yeah. Um, there's always the talk of, you know, people want him to do a Bond movie. Yeah. I feel like he'd do a good one. I think he would. Um, but I also know he'd want to control every every aspect of it. That might not be the worst thing. Like, I mean, look at how that worked out for Sam Mendes. Oh, yeah. Sure. But then look how it worked out for Sam Mendes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I love that our argument was, look how that worked out for Sam Mendes. Yeah, but look at how it worked out for Sam Mendes. <laughs> and we both know exactly what right. we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Um, mm. So we've been, you know, we've been polishing this film quite nicely, but it's not perfect. Um, there had to be a flaw for you in this film. Oh. I don't know. Really? I mean, I enjoyed, there wasn't anything I didn't like about it. I never, I never learned any of the character names, so that kind of bothers me. And that to me, I was going to say, that to me is a flaw. Like, Killian Murphy in this movie... He's, oh, a, he's, he's a character who's going through a lot. Like he's a character who's going through a heck of a lot of shell shock. And the movie actually does a neat trick where it shows him on both sides of that. Like we show him as not quite a commanding officer, but like he's a you know he's a he's a sergeant or something. Like he's not an infantryman. And then we see him. And then we see him after he's rescued out of the water. And it's like that day. Yeah. The character doesn't have a name. Sorry, that's a problem. You know, even if his name is Jack Smith, yeah. he needs a name. His name on the credits cannot be Shipper Soldier, which it is. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, I, I need... I don't need a lot of characters. I need a few. And I understand that this film is about the mission more than yeah. the men. I think that and the experience of it. Yeah, but at the same time... I would, like, okay, you show me a drowning man covering his ears under the water. This is so terrifying. That will shake me to my core. Yeah. You give that man a name. You know, you give you give him a little bit of story. But isn't that kind of the point, though? I, I, I will be weeping. Because without giving them a name, you're, you're investing yourself in them. You're projecting your own. I don't know. That's um you know, we talked about this in the last episode when we talked about the beguiled and yeah. talked about the amount of work that you expect the audience to do. Yeah. And yeah, by leaving these soldiers just as captain, sergeant, infantryman, mm-hmm. medic, you allow the audience to do some lifting. But I, I, I don't want to do that much lifting. You know, I like I, I do, but I feel like this film could have taken me that much deeper if I had a name, a story, something, something to latch onto. And that was, it, it seems like I'm, I'm picking a nit, but I'm really not. Okay. 
Never? Didn't bother you? Never at all. No, no, for me, I I knew. Didn't want a story for the. Didn't want a story for the captain. No, I knew it was just about the experience. I knew that before before the events that are depicted and after the events that are depicted, there's a whole life there that I don't get to see. Mm It's just that one week or that one day or that one hour. That's what we get a glimpse of. That's the experience that no one wanted to share. That's what I got. I wanted more. I, like, I want, like, and, 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 and the thing is, the crazy thing is, we had the time. You yeah. know, like this is, like you said, this is a film that's really succinct. Possibly too succinct. You know, I saw, I remember when I first heard that he was doing this and saw this trailer, I'm like, mm-hmm. that is going to be a three hour episode. That's exactly what I thought. You know, yeah. that is going to be a, a, that is going to be an ordeal. Yeah. There is something in between an ordeal and what we got. And I, yeah. I, I feel like he could have gone there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, there was one other thing that got me in. Maybe it didn't bother you. Maybe you actually kind of enjoyed it. Uh oh. Um, on Zimmer's score, mm-hmm. which is omnipresent in yeah. this movie, the ticking, uh, the ticking. Loved I did not. It. I did not care for the ticking. Okay, I loved it. I loved the ticking. Why did you love the ticking? Because it sets the pace. You know, like there, there's a sequence where I actually noticed that the ticking slows down because the film slows down for a second and then it just catches up again. I like it because you know that. You're living that moment, and that's what it is. The, the, the ticking puts you in the See, but for me, the ticking... The ticking was kind of a little bit of a blunt hammer. Um, it reminded me of... Earlier on, you mentioned Inception. And how... Inception's main score is this same rise and fall of notes that is sped up and slowed down and sped up and slowed down depending on where you are within the dreams. This is like that far more flat. You know, this is, this is, we got to get out of here because the Germans are coming. We got to get out of here because the Germans are We know that. And... But isn't that also kind of the point though? I mean, you know that, but they're still there. It's omnipresent. They're, just because you don't see them doesn't mean they're not. But there. that's you know, I don't know. Like I'm, my my hand, is my like my fist is already clenched. That's making me dig in my nails. And don't get me wrong, I'm not the biggest Hans Zimmer fan anymore. He seems to be like recycling a lot of material as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but yeah, so I, you, were, you were okay with that score. I didn't listen to the score so much as the ticking. Right. Like this. Like I, like, I actually wonder how that score plays outside of the movie. Yeah. That's how strange an inclusion yeah. it is. Uh, I know. I, that, that, to me, that's actually something that, for me, that holds the film back. Okay. Um, but part of me thinks that if you had no score, this film actually, it could plays, actually work. This film yeah. plays much more terrifying. Yeah. Um, that, the, you know, yeah. it's funny, because we talk about Nolan and talk about, like, how fanboy people get about him. But those are the kinds of things... Listen, I kind of like it because at the end of the day, it gives me something to pick on. Sure. <laughs> you know? Um, was there anything else about this movie that really jumped out at you? Like, pro, con, anything that we haven't talked about? Just the way it was shot. We love everything about the way it was shot. I mean, I did I did a little research afterwards. I mean, you know, they, they, they strapped an IMAX camera to a Spitfire, man. That's nuts. And like that, in the age of GoPros, right? that's bananas. And just all the shots, the aerial photography is some of the best I've ever seen. And these are all practical shots yeah. too. Like a lot, like he's not, he's not mapping. And that, like he's, that alone is stunning. I mean, that, without doing any spoilers, but there's a shot where you know the the Spitfire fires flies over the beach at the end. Yeah. Oh, chills! Literally yeah. chills. I mean, it's just so stunning to watch. 
I mean, you know, the way the choreography of the air battles. I mean, it makes sense that there was a mirror right there above the cockpit, but that's something I had never thought of. Right. And right. as soon as I said, I'm like, of course. Yeah. These are all these little things that I thought I knew. You know, I don't know tons about World War II, but I know enough. Yeah. And these are little things that I'm like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I'm like, this is this is fantastic. I just, yeah, it was an experience for me. Um. Yeah. It's it's funny because on the one hand, like. By being so old school, like I mentioned Lords of Arabia earlier on, we forget that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of extras ran across the desert in order to get that shot, right? That, that you know, that the heat was so intense that there are, like, moments of film melting in that. It's very old school in that way, and because it's so old, it feels new again. Right, because yeah, we're yeah. in this age where right, everything can be tweaked CGI. Yeah, which is which is fine because it allows some big films to be made where the money isn't there. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, when a genuinely big film can be made, and if there's anybody who's probably the best at working on this kind of canvas, even the film you don't like, yeah. Dark Knight Rises, you yeah. gotta admit, as a big film, that's pretty cool. Yeah, oh, um, totally. Yeah. Um, we end every matinee cast with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, if you could take away from this film, you would. Tim Rideout, do you have a souvenir from uh, Dunkirk? Like a physical souvenir that I would take from the screen? Sure. I'll give you mine while you think. I would... I would Go ahead. Totally dig one of those, one of the flight jackets, for sure. They, they, you know, they, they look pretty handsome, don't they? Um, and I love the fact... And, these are the little things that I love that you don't see anymore. Like the RAF when they're flying, not only do they have their jackets and their, their you know the helmets and stuff, they're wearing a tie. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's yeah, yeah. Um, for me, I um, I want one of those bottles of beer that they're getting at the end. Oh my god, they look like some really when delicious that, beer. When that moment happened, again, I was it wrecked me. I mean. I mean, like, that is, you know, we were talking about how this story fits into the, the landscape of war stories. There is a very good question, like, like, to get back into the review part, there is a very good question of what did we do, mm-hmm. right? That, that, that the soldiers struggle with as yeah. they get home. And they don't realize that coming home alive is doing something. Yeah. You know, it, it is all very well and good and valorous. Is that a word? Totally. Okay to die for the cause but at the same time to come home is also something noble I love that and they and they get to do it over beer oh, and a drink I love that so much yeah me too. because they were struggling so much with it and then that yeah, yeah and then the Churchill speech yeah just like yep we, uh, we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars I think I know the answer but Timothy Walden what do you give solid four solid four it's three and a half for me um, it probably will rise as time goes on and as I square myself with things like yeah. the ticking and the character names. Yeah, yeah. But right now it's I'm coming in a little cold. Um, but it is certainly one of the best movies of the year. Oh, certainly, sure. one, certainly one of the best movies of the summer. Yeah. It's one that I want everybody to see. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 quality filming. I can't wait to see what this guy does next. Yeah, totally. Um, the thing that I think about in my head again, we talked about Saving Private Ryan earlier and how as time went on, 
I started following the careers of all those actors. Mm -hmm. I do look forward to following the careers of a lot of these actors. Yeah. You know? And then I'll be like, oh yeah, I know that one. He was at you. Know? Yeah. Um, hey, listen, maybe we're wrong. Maybe you hate Dunkirk. And if you do, please let me know. I'd love to know why. Um, maybe you love it. Maybe you think that's not Michael Caine. That's what it was. I missed him. He I, was in I, there. I know. I read it afterwards. Yeah. I missed him. He was the, he was the radio voice. I'm yeah. Like, yeah, of course he was. Yeah. As soon as he, as soon as he said his first word, I'm like, that's Michael Caine. Yeah. <laughs> um, let me know. Ryan at matinee.ca. Twitter, we're at matinee underscore ca on facebook.com. Slash dark matinee. What did you think of Dunkirk? Um, we're going to jump right into the other side because we're going to wing this. Uh-oh. Um, so, if somebody were to come home and wanted to do some further homework, what were some other movies that you think that they could go on to after watching Dunkirk and all its glory? Oh, man. Are we talking like from the genre? Or at all. At any, any connection at all. Director, oh, actor, aesthetic, genre, unique. So like, I'll get you started. There was one that was kind of obvious to me with the inclusion of uh, a, a Christopher Nolan mainstay these days. Yeah. With the with the inclusion of uh, Killian Murphy. Okay. I got to thinking back about the wind that shakes the barley. Mm-hmm. The Ken Loach film from yeah. 2006, 2004, in that era, about 10, 12 years ago. Um, it's a it's a different kind of war film as well. It's a war film about the Irish Rebellion in 1916. Um, a, you know, a war that not everybody remembers. A war that's now about 100 years old. Um, again, soldiers that you don't always know their names. Like lower key actors like this movie. Um, and I kind of feel like the win, like the Wind of Shakespeare probably actually won the Palme d'Or. But I feel like it's getting lost to time. You've seen it, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you dug it. I liked it. Didn't love it? Didn't love it, liked it. It's weird because that film is actually shot digital. That I didn't know. Yeah, well, when you see it, you'll know. Okay. Um, So, in that way, the two films stand very, very wide apart. Yeah. Um, Where that is where I could be like, oh, okay, Christopher Nolan may be wrong or something. But The Wind That Shakes the Barley is, that's a long film. that's one that's out to take its time. It's not so much about the battle yeah. as it is about the movement. Yeah. Um, but, but the battle, like the battle, is a part of it. Um, that was one that, that jumped to mind almost immediately. Where's my brain? My brain just kind of stuck in World War Two. What do you got? Um, Bridge Too Far. I've never seen this. Uh, Longest Day. Wait, wait, wait. Tell me about Bridge Too Far. Just the cast alone, man. It's, it's another one of those where you might not remember the uh, the character names, but you recognize the actors. It's like it's one of those. You know, and it, and it's the same. It's not an escape, but it's you know when they're rolling across Europe and they're trying to reclaim it from the Nazis. And literally, one bridge too far. Um, Longest Day. Longest Day, I know. Uh, Longest Day is great. It really is. And there's there was one more that I just had in my head. Too. World War Two. Um, yeah, it's definitely World War Two. Bridge Too Far. Longest Day. Can't remember what the other one was now. Not like Dirty Dozen. No, I, I love Dirty, Dirty Dozen. Dirty Dozen is more but about Escape the is Fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah that is more about it's, the characters. Yeah, you know, and you can say like that's Escape is Fair. The one with that. Oh my God, the one with Eastwood and um, oh my God. I've never seen a Clint Eastwood World War II. It's not the Iger sanction. It's um. The other one that came to mind while you were thinking. Where eagles dare. That's, oh yeah, man. Um, that's Escape is Fair. Well, the other one that came to mind. 
for a different take and for a film that actually involves Dunkirk is Atonement. Okay, yeah. Because um, there's that long sequence in the middle where James McAvoy as the soldier kind of finds himself at Dunkirk wandering around and it's all thank you so much. It's this glorious long single take through the chaos and the madness that kind of Became of Dunkirk, yeah. Uh, because you know that's the one thing that this film doesn't address, and and I get why because because it would stray from the point far too much. Is you get that many men all in one place and just tell them, wait, they're gonna go a little nuts, you know? They're gonna get bored. They're gonna get stressed. They're already stressed. And in about two minutes, Joe Wright takes his camera through that madness sure. following Robbie the, the James yeah. McAvoy yeah. character as he just like looks around him and can't believe the chaos that, yeah. that, that is, is ensuing and that he has wandered into because yeah. um, he conscripts into the war effort to get away from a crime yeah. and it's like what did I do yeah. um, so that whole like that movie is about so many other things besides oh, totally. the war yeah. that movie's about perception and, and you know and regret and apology and literally atonement um, but in this one moment, it's it's about just pure madness, and it's right. done in this sweeping and epic way. It's kind of like I almost feel like Christopher Nolan saw that scene and said, "I could top that," you know, because Maybe, yeah. because it is a very very Nolan esque scene. You know, you almost kind of feel like he's like, "Go bigger," you know. Yeah. You dig Atonement, obviously. I liked it. Yeah, it's another one that I really, really like. I don't necessarily love it. No, I like I'm, I'm liking that movie more and more as time goes on. Maybe it's time to rewatch it. Like, and it's it's one of those movies that's got a huge cast. Oh, like, right. Who have all become more and more famous? Yeah. Like, do you remember Benedict Cumberbatch in that movie? No. He's, yes. Yeah. 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 in my head now. Yeah. Saoirse oh, Ronan is in that movie, and you know, like that was kind of yeah. like her her big break. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's. I, I want to say that. Um, there's a whole lot of like, like it's it's kind of a British who's who. I love mid, those kind of movies. And that's why I'm having a problem with not remembering this other movie because it's another one of those who's who movies. Anything yeah. else that like you've seen that takes place like at the time, like of the era, that's not? Because I kind of like we didn't talk too much about the Mark Rylance uh, end of the story, and I feel like that's that's something kind of interesting. You know, like like the home front during a war. Which is always good. Yeah, I love those stories. But yeah, They're coming up short. I'm you know, yeah. maybe I'll make one. You get the guy out of the studio, and you know, his podcast. No, see, that's the thing, though. I'm not. I'm, I'm watching all these other. Films, oh no! Right? See, I know what it is. Yeah. See, I get you away from a show where, like, usually the guest is the one who does the work. I'm making you do the work. I know. You know, Damn it. it sucks, don't Damn it? it? No, what, I, what I don't it? mind the work. It's just I'm not watching anything in that genre <laughs> right now. I'm, um, uh, I'm doing Buster Keaton at home right now. Oh man, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's more. I'm sure there's tons that we're forgetting. Um, you know, like we did this, even just within the scope of Nolan. Like I kind of want people to go back and rewatch Interstellar. I love Interstellar. Um, I, I, I feel like that film didn't get a fair shake. I love it. What do you love about that one? Everything. The science. You know, you get you get a sci-fi film that actually. Kinda, Pays attention to some of the science. It's another. It's another film of like time within time within yeah. time. I love all that stuff. I kind of feel and like the it's cast, the cast is great. We kind of created this little trilogy of films, you know, like between Inception, Interstellar, yeah. and 
and Dunkirk, he's kind of got this looping time, time trilogy. trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can almost see the Blu-ray box set now. Yeah. I, I look forward to buying it. I would buy it, yeah. Yeah, we would. <laughs> All right, well, if you got nothing else to add. I'm good. All right, right? Yeah. yeah. No, you um, covered it, man. Yeah, look, that is episode 181 of Matt Nakehouse. Come on back on Monday, August 7th, for episode 182. Um, there's suddenly a lot out there to discuss. We might talk about a ghost story. We might talk about Detroit. We might talk about Atomic Blonde. Mm. I don't know what we're going to talk about just yet, but we'll decide that in the next two weeks. Mm. Um, and we look forward to having you back. Yes, please. Timothy Rideout can be found at the Mind Reels and the Mind Reels podcast. What do you got coming up this week that people can look forward to? Oh, man. What am I working my way through right now? Um, working my way through some revenge thrillers this week. Um, started this week with uh, Point Blank with Lee Marvin. Um, my Tuesdays and Thursdays are now Star Trek days. I have to get through the entire series, all of the series. Um, I'm working my way still through The Twilight Zone. Um, and a couple good books coming up. And I'm sure you're going to write about Dunkirk. I know you haven't already. You know what? I'm not going to because what? I'm going to link back to this, uh, this discussion. Oh, yeah. no. Because Thank you so much. Every, right. Everything I want to say is it's just probably so there. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and, yeah, and on the show? On the show, we've got tons coming up. We uh, we had, I'm going to say her name wrong anyway, uh, Muna Traore uh, from Red Art Mysteries came in. So there's some quick shots coming up with her. Uh, we just shot another radio play. And if you're not listening or watching these radio plays, <laughs> oh my God, crack a bottle of wine just like we do and join some fantastic <laughs> actors slaughtering 1940s radio plays. Awesome. So fun. Nice. Yeah. Uh, where can people find the, the, uh, the show? Oh, uh, you can find uh, live action. Live action. You can, you can find video on YouTube or you can listen to the audio on iTunes and we share it on the blog as well. And there will be links in this post. My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes store. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Dunkirk, on movies that we forgot that marry up to Dunkirk nicely, uh, or on anything we talk about on the show, you can be left at Ryan at matinee.ca. You can tweet me, matinee underscore CA, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, buddy? Go see it in IMAX. How's your French toast? My French toast was so good. We're at Mitzi's, uh, just up the street from where I live, actually. I, I come to you. That's the way the, I know. the podcast works. You this know, this I, is so good. I come to you. Um, my, my cherry pancake is fantastic. Right? That is so good. I've never good. tried cherry pancakes I had, I had French toast with Nutella and almonds. Nice. And I'm like, oh, my God. Well, we're full, so uh, pass the Tums. And uh, for Tim, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee. So-